Well, I want to commend you this morning for good singing. One of the things that math is that we kind of evaluate the service, and one of the questions we ask is, how did we sing? Well, after that last song, A+. plus. Well done, church family. We sing together. Something God's called us to do, and actually next week, Jude's going to be uh, preaching next Sunday morning. He's going to be talking about singing as the body of Christ, the role and music and the responsibility that we have to be singing. And so uh, just a great opportunity for us as a church family to do what God's called us to do. Well, at this time, the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. And the rest of us, let's open our Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. The book of 2 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get one. There is one in a pew Bible near you, or a pew near you. Um, And this is, if you're using a pew Bible, this is on page 1018. 1018 in the pew Bible. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about Continuing last week, we talked last week about being a fit church. We made a distinction between a church that is healthy, that is, as individuals, for instance, we can have the right blood pressure, we can have good cholesterol, uh, that our heart rate can be good, oxygen levels, all those things, if we're hooked up to monitors, that are going to say we're very healthy. And we talked about the fact that we're a healthy church. There are a number of things that God is doing in our midst that is helping us to be a very healthy church. But we made a distinction between a healthy church and a fit church. And a fit church, somebody who is healthy, they have all the indicators that are right, but a fit, somebody who's fit, they can go to turkey runs, spend hours on the trails, up and down, climbing ladders, climbing down, all that kind of stuff, and when they get to the bottom of the stairs to head up to the parking lot, they don't collapse, all right? They're fit. And as we think about the kind of church we believe God wants us to be, it's not simply a healthy church, but a fit church. A church that is poised for action. A a church that serves well, that loves others, that is engaging in our community. That's what we want to see our church to become. As we look at this passage last week, the first part of it, we saw that this idea of it being a fit church. And this morning we're going to talk about these two ideas of being nearsighted and forgetful. These are two qualities that will keep us from being a fit church. Now, one of the things that these two words being nearsighted and forgetful, when you think about who is it usually describe people who are nearsighted and forgetful, what group of people are often included in that? Okay, older people. I'm hearing all the younger people say. And um, we recognize that. that What often happens with age, we have to get glasses. A couple years ago, I couldn't read the back monitor anymore and realized it's time for glasses. And the eye doctor concurred, and she said, well, the reason you need them, she didn't say it this way, but what she said, the reason you need glasses now is because you're getting old. Uh, thank you very much. And the other thing that it, we happens as we get a little older oftentimes is we get forgetful. And it's not because the information's not there, it's just the information's there, and I need it now. And so it takes a minute to think, what was the name of that person? Oh, Yeah. And we see that happen oftentimes with age. Well, those two characteristics often show up in the lives of believers. In the lives of believers, we often become nearsighted and forgetful. And that can have significant consequences in a relationship with Christ. And in fact, we will not be a fit fit church unless we maintain good eyesight and a good memory. And I believe this passage teaches that this morning. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 8 this morning. Well, I'm, let's, actually, let's back up. Let's read the whole section so we get the whole context. Back up to verse 3. It says this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort... Make every effort to supplement to your faith, supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and with self-control, steadfastness, and with steadfastness, godliness, and with godliness, brotherly affection, and a brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you, I intend to always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. And that's where we'll stop this morning. Well, as we look at this passage, last week we saw these first two truths. The first one was this, that God has given us everything that we need to flourish. That everything that you need as a follower of Jesus to be everything that he wants you to be, he has given it to you. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for eternal life, but also everything we need for everyday life. God's given us all of that. Everyday life and eternal life. He's done this by giving us truth to equip us and promises to transform us. We also see that God calls us to build on our faith. That we have this faith and he gives the list of characteristics that we build on our faith. And we build on our faith so that we will be effective and fruitful. And that's where our idea of a fit church came in. That I can have those qualities but not be effective or fruitful. And I can have knowledge, I can have some godliness, I can have, uh, I can have a brotherly affection, I can have love. But if I'm not growing in those characteristics... My relationship with God, my, my, my service, my usefulness into the kingdom of God stagnates. And so we saw that, that we need to continue to add to these. Well, this morning as we look at verse 8, one of the things we would see is this, this morning's message is that failing to build on your faith makes you useless. Failing to build on your faith makes you useless. It doesn't say there that, that you're not a believer. It doesn't say that, um, that there's something... Um, missing in your walk with God, but what it's saying is that you're going to be unfruitful and ineffective. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be useless. I mean, God has not called us simply to trust Him as our Savior and then just do our own thing until we go to heaven. God saves us for purposes. He saves us for purposes bigger than ourselves. He wants to use us. He wants it to be effective. He wants us to be fruitful in the knowledge of God. And as we see, what happens, how do we become that? Is by continually adding to our faith that we don't just kind of coast. We don't just take it easy, say, hey, I got all I need. Jesus has given it to me. I'm just going to wait till Jesus comes back now. 
I hope somebody else tells others about Jesus. I hope somebody else will teach a pioneer club. Hope somebody else will teach kids about the gospel through Sunday school. Hope somebody else will be a teen leader. I'm coasting. God doesn't want us to be useless. God wants to use us in his kingdom. But he says to us in verse 8, it says this, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, so if they're not increasing, what happens? We become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. And then verse 9 says this. He tells us why. Well, well, why would it be that that I could have these qualities and not be building on them and be useless and ineffective? How how is it that that would happen? And verse 9 tells us. It says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As we would see this, he uses the word being nearsighted in this. And so our point is this, that nearsightedness keeps you from growing. Being nearsighted keeps you from growing. Okay, so being nearsighted means this, that what do I see? I just see what's near me. Okay, so, so whenever I can't read the screen in the back of the auditorium, that tells me that I have some nearsightedness. I can only see what's close. And that nearsightedness isn't simply a physical thing that we have, but it can be a spiritual reality. Because what happens is nearsightedness means all I see is what's right here. All that I'm operating on is the basis of my immediate circumstances. I'm not thinking about what God did for me when he saved me. I'm not thinking about what he's doing for me right now. Actually, I don't even see God because he's, he's out there and I just see what's right here. And so what seems so real right now is what's close to me. So you have a conflict with your spouse. Well, what happens when we're nearsighted? In a conflict, what happens? I'm in a conflict, and so my spouse has said something that, 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 that really kind of upsets me. I get angry, and because I forget, because I'm, not, I'm nearsighted, I lash out. I think, how can you treat me that way? How could you say that? And I go on the attack. Why? Because all I'm thinking about is right here in my immediate circumstances. You're driving home from church, and you're driving home from church, and as you're driving, there's a driver in front of you that is not driving the way that a, a licensed driver should be allowed to drive on the road, and, and there are things that stir up inside of you, and the things that get stirred up inside of you, then the next question is, what's going to come out? Because you see, whenever what's coming out is contrary to what God would have us to do, what's that a, reflected of, a reflection of is our nearsightedness. Because all I see right now is they shouldn't drive that way. And I'm going to, tell, I'm going to show them that. And when we, some stuff comes out. I'm in a conflict with my parents. You're, you're, you're upset with your parents because something's going on or something's going on at school and everything's about right now. And so they said, give me your phone. And what is going on inside of you? Everything inside of you is saying, I'm not giving up my phone. That's, and all this blowing up inside of us. And, and, and it becomes a big conflict. Why? Because what's right here? I'm nearsighted. You, you see, I think one of the things that also affects us with our nearsightedness is that, that, that what's near to us and what we also want to see is a mirror that we don't see beyond. Because I just see myself. I just see myself. I see the other person. I see the conflict. I don't see God. I don't see how he fits in this. Several months ago, we, we talked about a Y diagram. We drew a little picture of a Y. And there are two ways that we had on that, on that Y diagram. One way is I can do things God's way, and the other way is I do things my way. And we talked about how in 
in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, it says that the way of the unfaithful, so as I'm in this moment, if I choose to do things my way and I stay on this, I can bet that life's going to get what? Harder. The way of the unfaithful is hard. I do things my way, life's going to get hard. It's going to get harder. But we see this other way. Now, so I'm looking beyond my immediate circumstance. Well, I don't want my life to get hard, so I need to think right now. The other is that I go this way. It says the path of the righteous is like the morning sun that gets brighter and brighter till the full day. And so over here, my way gets harder. Doing it God's way gets what? Okay, good. About 50%. Okay, it's not easier. Okay, the Bible does not say anywhere that I do it God's way and life gets easier. We would think that because if this way is hard, this way is easier. But it actually says this way isn't easier, it's brighter. And why that's significant is it tells us that, that, that things are becoming clearer, they're making more sense. Life still may be really hard, but I'm not making it harder by my foolish choices. And so we, we use that Y diagram to get our, uh, our vision above our circumstances to, to help fix our nearsightedness to see where's this going. Because when we're nearsighted, verse 9 says, we become so blind that we forget that we've been cleansed of our former sins. We forget the gospel. When I'm nearsighted, the gospel doesn't have any impact on my choices. Jesus is irrelevant at that point. In many ways, we live as functional atheists. Because of my emotions and because of all that's going on, it, it, my life does not demonstrate at all that God even exists because the only thing that exists right now is my will and I'm going to carry it out. Because we forget. We're nearsighted. And so we realize that nearsightedness keeps us from growing and that we need this. We need to have this longer view, keep our vision sharp and reminding ourselves of who Christ is and what he's done for us. Well, verse 10 goes on a little further and says this. Therefore, okay, because I want you to be fruitful and effective, because I want you to be useful in the kingdom of God, because I don't want you to be nearsighted and blind, I don't want all these things. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent which that means it sounds like it's going to require what? Some work. Okay, be diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, those are those things that we listed above, all those things, I'm growing in those, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Whoa, that's a big statement. And it goes on and says, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so there are three points in this, that we see that purposeful growth. So I have my faith and I'm going to build on faith. I'm going to build on it according to this. I'm going to continually do that. So I'm useful, I'm effective. That purposeful growth makes me effective. I want you to be effective in the kingdom of God. I'm confident that you really do want that as well. But to be that, we have to be growing. But not only does purposeful growth make us effective, it also makes us stable. You see at the end of verse 10, it says, if we practice these qualities, we will never fall. That's a big statement. And you know what I think it means? I think it means just what it says. That we will never fall. 
I say that because when this idea of falling, that we fall, that's this idea that I step in into sin, that I fall into sin, why? Why do I fall into sin? We, listen, we don't sin by accident. We sin by choice. You don't sin because somebody else made you do that. You sin because of your choices. And this passage is telling us if I'm continually adding to my faith knowledge and that if I'm continually doing that, that I'm not going to fall. I, 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 won't, I won't fall. I won't stumble. So what is this teaching us? Is a key to your growth and your battle against sin is to keep growing. Because as you keep growing, you don't have time for sin. Because so, we sin whenever we're like, I'm going to take a rest. I'm not going to think about growing in these qualities right now. I'm just going to take some time for me. Temptation comes. I get nearsighted. I forget these things. I'm, I'm no longer continuing to move forward. I, I stall. I go backwards. What's the result? I step into sin. How do we fight against sin? We keep growing. Keep pursuing Christ's likeness. Keep adding, building on your faith. That's what does it for us. And so, how do we do this? How do we purposefully grow? I would ask you these questions, and you're going to know the answers. The first one is reading your Bible. Read your Bible. Read it, read it, read it. If I could say it over again, I'd say it. Read it, read it, read it. Listen, you, listen, you will not be a useful and effective Christian if you are not faithfully reading the Word of God. Now, faithfully reading the Word of God may not mean you're reading seven chapters every day of the week. Faithful, but I would, I would encourage you to set this. What if you set a goal? I'm going to read at least one chapter a day on four days a week. At least that much. Does that sound like a doable goal for most of you? One chapter at least four days a week. Nobody's committing. Is that a reasonable goal? Four days, one chapter? Okay. Now, I would encourage a goal like that because that's a goal you can exceed. And also... It's because here's what often happens. This is what happens in my life. I, wa- I want to read the Bible every day. But there are times my phone rings, it's at midnight, and my kids need something, and something's going on, and I'm out late, and I get up early, and it's, I've got a meeting, and I can't do that, and I think, okay, I'm going to read at lunch. Something goes on at lunch, somebody calls or whatever, and I think, okay, I'll, I'll do it later tonight. And so I get home, and then I get home, and I'm going to mow the yard, and I start mowing the yard, and the belt breaks, and I've got to fix the belt on the mower. And then it's like two hours later, the belt's fixed, and all that kind of stuff. Finally get done mowing, done mowing. It's been working on the mower. Now I'm stink. I need a shower. I get a shower. I take it. I'm like, man, I'm going to sit down eat something I eat something now whatever time of night it is and I'm thinking man I'm going to bed and I go to bed and I wake up the next day and I realize what I must read the Bible yesterday and didn't get it done and if my goal is seven days a week I've failed okay now again you can set the goal if you want to I would say set it at four or five and then you can exceed it and pursue that because those do those days ever happen in your life they do we're all in this together right Nobody here is a super saint. No, nobody's a super saint. We could all do more. We could all do better. We realize that. But I want to encourage you, don't set this bar so high that you failed next, next Tuesday and you're done to give up. So how do we continually grow? Read your Bible. You, again, you need it. You get it. The, the other way, how else do we do that? Be in church. You need to be with other believers. Now, can you be a Christian without coming to church? Yes. 
Can you be a useful, effective, faithful Christian without coming to church? No. Why? Because God tells us to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you don't gather with the saints, you're not being faithful. Now, we, we live in a culture that I know lots goes on. Again, what if you just said, listen, I'm going to commit to being at church 46 weeks of the year. Well, there aren't there 52 weeks. Shouldn't I commit to being every week? Yep, you can, I would love to be in church every week. Does anybody, I don't know if you, I mean, track that closely if it comes every Sunday, but that would be great. My point is this. Oftentimes we miss church. Why? Just because we do. Stayed up late, didn't want to, didn't really order my schedule really well, didn't plan things really well, and I think, well, we're just not going to make the church. And we just don't go. And guess what? It's a really easy habit to get into and really hard to get out of. Because then when you come back to church, if you haven't been for like three weeks, people say, hey, missed you. And you kinda, they're really glad to see you, but you kind of feel guilty because, man, I should have been here. I've been just sleeping in or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're judging me because I haven't been here. Blah, and all that weird stuff goes on in their heads. Listen, just come. Be here when you can. Don't sleep in. Make, it, make, make being with God's people a priority. Being with God's people a priority. Unless you providentially hinder, just say, I'm going to be in church. A bunch of years ago, when Trish and I were in Michigan, that evangelist came, and he, he said something I thought, this is really helpful. He said, listen, parents, I want to make life easier. You're making millions of decisions every day. I want to help you with that. He says, I want to take a decision off the plate. He says, you just commit. If there's church, we're going to be there. So when your kids ask on Friday or Saturday, are we going to church tomorrow? Guess what? You don't have to make that decision. It's already been made. Of course we are. Why are you asking? Okay, I mean, just set, just set that pace. Be in church. Be together. That, why? Because what do we need to do? We need to remember these things. We need to not be nearsighted. I want to encourage you to participate in Bible studies. Get engaged with other believers at close range. And listen, we're in just a minute, we're going to talk about this. But listen, sometimes you'll say, but I already know what they're talking, in the stu- talking about in the study. I just want to go deeper. I want to say to you, I don't care. Go anyway. All right? Listen, there was a kid, a student. I asked his permission this morning. I'm not going to share his name. But this is about five years ago. We're sitting about where Larry Musselman is, about four rows back. And it's a Sunday night, and I come in, and I can tell the student's kind of tussling with his mom. And uh, mom says, as I'm walking by, go ahead and tell him. And he's like, nah, I don't want to tell him. He says, go ahead and tell him. He's like, okay. He says, I don't know why I have to be here. I already know all this. Right? Okay, now, I would tell you that at one level that, he was probably fourth, fifth grade at that point, that he probably did know an awful lot. He's grown up in church. He's been in Sunday school, been to Bible school, all this. He knows about David and Goliath. He knows, he knows all the stories. Okay, and so at one level, I get it. But then we start to think, okay, but do I really get it? I mean, for instance, we think about David and Goliath. What's David and Goliath all about? David and Goliath is ultimately about Jesus. Right? Because Jesus says all the Old Testament's ultimately about him. You say, well, how does that work? Well, what happened? David and Goliath, there's this giant, and there's a battle between two individuals. One person for the whole army, he comes down and he battles Goliath. And his victory, he crushes the, the giant, cuts off his head, and he wins the victory. And who else wins the victory? The whole army now wins the victory because of one man's victory. 
that sound like Jesus? It does, doesn't it? That there's one man who did what? He came and he fought the battle for sin and righteousness and won that battle, defeated sin, death, and Satan, crushed all that. And now who gets the benefits of that? We're the army that benefits in that victory. Those are the kind of things that we see in the Word of God. But if we flatten out the Bible and just make it about Bible stories, that kid, the student was right. I know all this. Why do I need to come? And so I'm burdened. I sometimes hear people say, well, I just want to go deeper in my study. Again, two things with that. One, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm really not joking, start a Bible study. Be the one to take others deeper if that's what you desire. Or, 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 or the other part of it is because, actually, I hear this sometimes, and you know what they end up doing? Staying home and not studying. Right? So, so, so recognizing that God would call us, that we need to be remembering these things. And, and again, we need to be listening to, we need to be in church, be with other believers, be in, be in a Bible study, reading our Bibles. I would encourage you, we get, listen to good preachers. Okay, listen to them. Get on the radio, on podcasts. If you want to know how to use podcasts there, awesome. By the way, if a smartphone just loads your phone automatically, just do it, it's gone, the next day's there. Fantastic. Right, listen to stuff to continue to help feed you so you remember these things. Which leads us to the next point because in verse 12 it says this, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Okay, now, why are reminders so important? Remember, our problem is we become nearsighted, so all I see is now, and I forget. What do I need to do? Remember. And I need to remember this. And so as we would recognize that, that we need to remember what we know. Remembering what we know is essential for faithful ministry. Remembering what you know. That's like taking a test. Okay, you've You've been in a class all semester and you've been learning things and you know you've really learned it because you've done pretty well through the semester and now the test comes. And what do you have to do on the test? You have to demonstrate that you remember what you know because when you remember what you know, you pass the test. So back to the conflict. You're having a conflict with somebody and rather than being nearsighted, I begin to remember the gospel in the midst of all of this. And as I remember who Jesus is and what he's done for me, I remember that life's not all about me. I remember that God loves me and I know all those truths. And so now what word, the words and the tone that come out of my mouth are radically different. Because I'm remembering. And because I'm seeing. That's how we change. That's how real growth takes place. I would encourage you that we need to take every opportunity we have to be reminded of the truths that we trust. Remember Jerry Walls used to tell me oftentimes, um, he would say that, um, he said, Pastor, I'm just a leaky vessel. He said, I come to church and I learn, and I'm studying the Word of God and I'm filled up, but, but over time it just kind of leaks out what I know. And I love that imagery. I love that imagery because that's who we are. And that we need to be continually reminded that we need to be putting ourselves in every opportunity we have to be able to learn. And to not simply just learn new information, but to remember what we already know. One of the things that we're 
doing soon is in, on October, I mean September 9th, we're going to start a new, some, doing something a little different with some of our Sunday school classes. Uh, we're going to leave some of them, our, um, the, teach the, the class that um, John Lewis and Rodney teach and the ladies class, we're going to leave those. But for the adult classes, we're going to, have, we're going to start beginning teaching eight-week modules. And these eight-week modules we're calling East Side Essentials. And there are things that we think every believer needs to know. We're going to have three tracks. Track one, uh, the first one, Jude's actually going to teach this first one. It's, and it's, it's a knowing track. These are things you need to know. Track two are things we need to do. And then track three is a training track. So, for instance, Jude's going to teach a, seri- uh, a series on theology. And he's tying this theology to some of what we talked about with our biblical counseling and tying this together to see how, why does the inerrancy of the Bible matter to everyday life? Okay, every believer needs to know these things. So I encourage you, jump in. It's going to be a great class. Eight weeks, and he's going to work through that. The doing says, I'm going to teach a, a doing class. It's going to be on parenting. It's going to be on parenting and, and helping parents to see that, that there's a bigger goal than just surviving and helping your kids to live till they're 18. Okay, their goal's bigger than that. How do we help our kids to thrive? How do we shepherd the hearts of our kids? Eight weeks, give you some tools and tips that will help. Then training time, and Pastor Nate's going to do that. And our first training thing is actually going to be on church membership and why be connected to a local church. Now, I'm, sp- I'm speaking specifically to some of you right now that aren't members. But you've been around here for a while. You like Eastside, you're happy to be here, and you're being fed. I want to encourage you to partner with us, to join with us in a formal way and to say, I want to be useful and effective in the kingdom of God, and I want to use my talents, my resources, to partner with Eastside Baptist Church and get engaged. Okay? Some of you need to do that. You've been around a long time. Thankful you're here. I want to encourage you to keep coming, but I also want to encourage you to step on board. Let's go. And so, Pastor Nate, this is going to be a four-week class. It's probably going to extend to eight, but it's a four-week commitment. Some of you have been through membership classes and you've gone through some stuff. This would be a great place to step in and say, we're going to finish it and get this done. But that's Eastside Essentials. And why we're doing this is because we want us to remember what we know. We want to learn new things, but remember what we know. Because it says this at the end of our passage in verse 13. I think it is right, as long as I am in my body to stir you up by way of reminder. That's what happens when our vision gets corrected and we can see big, whenever our memory gets fixed and we're able to realize and remember what we know, what happens? It stirs us up. It stirs us up for God. It stirs us up for the gospel. It stirs us up to serve Him. We're growing, we're adding to our faith, and it stirs us up to be effective and useful in the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you to think about how you are going to work hard to keep your eyesight healthy and how do you keep your memory functioning. I want to encourage you on your bottom of your notes somewhere to be able to say, this is what I'm going to do to apply this message. This is what I'm going to do to work on my eyesight to make sure I'm not becoming nearsighted. This is what I'm going to do to make sure I'm useful and effective and making sure that I remember the truths I know to keep me stirred up. It's what I, call, I want to call you to this morning, that God wants us to be effective, fruitful, stable, confident believers. And all of these come as we believe the gospel and then continually add to the faith. We continue to build on the faith that we have for transformation.
Right, so I encourage you to, as we pray this morning, as we take up our offering this morning, I would encourage you to do some thinking about how will I apply this message to keep my eyesight and my memory sharp. Well, let us pray, and after I pray, we'll receive our morning offering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you desire to use us. Lord, you want us to be useful. You want us to be fruitful. You want us to be effective. And Lord, the manner in which that happens is us by maintaining an eyesight that's not just focused on the near circumstances. Lord, that you would help us to have, have good memories and that we would stir ourselves up by, by being reminded of the truths we know, that you have cleansed us from our sins, that you've given us new life, that you've transformed us by the gospel, and that that would, that would get us excited to be engaged in ministry. Lord, we desire these things because, Lord, we, we are thankful that you've made us a healthy church. The Lord is our desire, and we believe it's your desire that we would be a fit church a fit church, a church that is poised for action, is continually growing, is stable, effective, and fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.